This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen from The Weekly Dish, and the podcast you're about to hear is sponsored by our friends at Sitka Salmon, and they have a special holiday offer for you. They've got two different holiday fish boxes that can be had just for holiday gift giving. You can order them until December 15th, and they will be shipped before Christmas. Both boxes comes with beautiful recipes, fish, artisanal sea salt, and everything you need to have a delicious meal. Box number one specifically, the holiday box, includes lingcod, coho, a spice mix, pure sea salt, and everything you need for a delicious meal. And holiday feast number two includes king salmon, halibut, spot prawns that were talked about in this upcoming episode, as well as dungeness crab, the spice mix, sea salt, and everything you need for a delicious holiday feast. Feel free to go online at sitkasalmon.com, S-I-T-K-A salmon.com, and get these holiday special boxes from your friends at Sitka Salmon and The Weekly Dish. I get my nom, nom, nom on with the my top chicks, and we will eat on, eat on The Weekly Dish. helping. These are the podcasts that we do that have exclusive content. And this particular podcast is being sponsored by our friends at Sitka Salmon. We have talked to Richie Mann before. He is in studio with me. Hi, Richie. Hey, Steph. Uh, We have talked a lot about uh, what is Sitka and factory farming versus sustainable farming versus line caught farming. And I'm very excited to let you know that we have Marsh Skeel on the line. Um, Marsh, you are actually in Sitka, aren't you? Yeah, if you can hear a pitter-patter on the roof, it's uh, because uh, it's raining on us here in the Tongass National Rainforest. But yeah, I'm here in Sitka, Alaska. Uh, what is So it's raining, and that at this time of year, what is the weather like for you generally? Uh, it's like 40, 45 degrees and rainy almost every single day. When you look at the forecast, it says nothing but rain, and then every once in a while I get a little, little break, but it's... Uh, we're right on the outer coast, and we're warmed by the Japanese current. The, the ocean has a big influence on the weather here, so it's never that cold. You know, the, the coldest it gets in January, it averages around 40 degrees, and in July, it averages around 60 degrees. So oh, nice. Pretty pretty mild all, all year round. Yeah, so warmer than we're experiencing here, it seems like. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, so can you talk a little bit, Richie has given us so richie give us the 411 about sitka for people that might be new listeners yeah yeah so sitka salmon shares um sitka salmon shares is a community supported fishery in its essence and we operate much like a csa would a community supported agriculture um but with wild line caught uh seafood from southeast alaska um we have um uh, a fleet of fishermen um up in the southeast uh all the way up to kodiak island we have uh, a few fishermen up there as well and they do this amazing process of catching 
harvesting um, traditionally, harvesting our seafood, and then we bring it down, essentially bring it down here to the Midwest, and we have a group, um, a member group of about close to 10,000 now, and they get our fish once a month delivered to their door. That is so many. I can't believe how much you guys have grown. It's been a really cool process. I've been around for about five years. Marsh has been in from the very, very, um, the genesis of this, of this big, beautiful project. One of the things <clears throat> that people still have a hard time with when I talk to them about your company mm-hmm. is this idea that it's line caught fish yeah. because they're just used to seeing, you know, these major massive nets and they're used to seeing these giant pens. Uh, Marsh, maybe you could speak a little bit to how can you guys farm sustain or how can you fish sustainably with just line caught when you're doing the amount of volume that you're doing? Uh, so that's a that's a great question. Um, yeah, we're we're fishing we're hook, we're fishing uh, hook and line, but uh, we have you know some mechanical assistance. So you know you've got kind of like a electric or hydraulic reels that reel your line up and down, but you're pulling the fish in by hand. And uh, why it's why you can successfully participate in the fisheries by hook and line up here is because there's a lot of fish. So um, you know there has to be a really healthy resource for you to be able to target and target and catch a decent amount hook and line. And relatively, it's not compared to global fisheries and like large scale trawling where you drag in that right. the ocean and catch catch to, you know big schools of fish. Um, it's smaller, but I mean, we're still our, our, our fishermen are still sometimes catching two or three thousand pounds in a day, and we have like about twenty fishermen we work with. So, uh, you know, the season goes all summer, and uh, and for salmon, and then for for hook and line, black cod and halibut in the spring, and uh, and trap or pot caught shrimp and crab in the fall. So, so really, uh, it's a, it's a long season, and our guys are, are out there fishing hard for a long time, and that's how we're able to deliver the volume. And you mentioned guys, but your sister is also a farmer. Is that correct? A fisherman. Fisherman, sorry. Do we call yeah, it, it – help me with that. Like, is the – because you don't farm these fish. You catch them naturally in the wild. No. Yeah, yeah. We're not – I mean, we, we try to draw that distinction because of uh, of so much – so many farmed salmon on the marketplace. So and can we just – I'm going to ask you about that because I think it's yeah. still confusing because I have talked to some uh, sustainably – fished farm people who have they're raising the fish in these farms Mm -hmm. and then you're doing it where you're literally going out into the wild and you're putting lines into the ocean and bringing the fish out yep why like the people that are farming them think they're doing the right thing for the fish and you obviously think that you're doing something better for the fish because you're probably, I would guess you would say more naturally because you're catching them in the wild with a line. What is that difference for the consumer and how are they really to know? Uh, so, I mean, when it comes to, depends on the species of fish you're farming. So who are you talking to and uh, that was farming farming fish? I mean, tilapia can be a real or, are really good fish to farm from a sustainability standpoint. They don't need that much. Um, it really, it really depends on how it's done. So if you like the key things to look at on the, on farm fish is like how much, how many pounds of wild fish do you have to grind into fish meal that are often caught unsustainably, like anchovies from Peru that are caught in large numbers, ground up and then fed to farm fish. Sure. Like how many pounds of of, of those that that bait fish are ground up? to grow a pound of the, of the farm salmon, for example. Um, and then also you have a lot of, just, just like monoculture 
alarming. You have a lot of ecological damage when you have a bunch of farmed salmon all in pens in the ocean. You have like big blooms of parasites and diseases. You have sea lice and all of that waste that, that filters through the the. Um, and you have antibiotic use if there's a lot of fish in there to keep them to try to keep them healthy. Yeah. Um, so you've got all those things kind of going against it, and then you've got a dead zone of all the all the all the waste and stuff that goes through the nets. It creates a dead zone in the bottom of the ocean. So it can be it can be really detrimental to the ocean, especially like in British Columbia where you have wild salmon along with with fish farms. Yeah. You have the the migratory path of all these wild salmon are going by all these all these fish farms that have a bunch of diseases and parasites. And uh, they also escape sometimes and swim up the rivers because yep. salmon are salmon and they just, you know, they, that's what they do. Even if, so, even if a Atlantic farm salmon escapes a, a net pen, they're going to go swim up a river. So, so so they can be detrimental to wild stocks. Um, but, you know, some, some, some salmon and some fish are farmed inland and can be done in a way that aren't uh, harming the natural ecosystem. And I would say the, the way that, um, why I think that we're sustainable is the, the, way, the way we harvest is low impact. So we're not like dragging nets across the bottom, destroying habitat. We're very selective on what the fish we catch. Um, and we can release alive the fish that we, uh, that we the, the bycatch fish we're not targeting. Um, and as well as how the fisheries are managed in Alaska and specifically Southeast Alaska, um, they're really, it's, it's really strong science-based management that's managed for the sustainability of the stocks. It has nothing to do with, like, the, the marketplace and, you know, hey, there's salmon really – we've got a lot of salmon we want to sell, so let's raise the quota. It's not right. – it's set up to it's set up to have those salmon runs be healthy in, in perpetuity. You can totally like see how, though, like the consumer – I mean, it's so hard. Yeah. If you're educated, you're doing the best that you can to try to figure this out. And there is – not unlike, I guess, other types of farming, there is a lot of variables here – and to know what you're getting when you get to the store or when that package is being delivered to your house, like, short of what you guys are doing, how would you know? Yeah, and, you know, I'm on the front lines um, often, and one of the biggest questions I get is, um, <clears throat> what do you mean wild? You know, and so there's there's kind of this, and we, I think we talked about this. And we I did. always use the analogy, um, you know, the cage-free egg, which was once something meant something, means nothing now. It doesn't. And wild, you know, wild can also mean trawled. It's coming out of the ocean, and there's not a real distinction for it yet. Um, I think the further along we get in the next three, four, or five years, and Marsh, you can probably know more about this than I do, but you're starting to see some sub-labeling um, on your wild-caught fish saying line-caught um, or, you know, uh, sustainable line-caught, something like that. And then you can rest assured that it was that was most likely individually handled. But then we take it a, a next step, really. We bring it to this artisan level, which is really what Marsh has done, I think, um, better than I could have ever thought where he's he's moved this product into um, into this artisan realm, which is really what I wanted to ask Marsh about too, and have him speak about what Please. he does um, and what his team in Sitka, the processing plant, does to to ensure really the freshest. It's frozen, but the, a fresh frozen fish. Yeah, because you guys go right from the line to your operating facility, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Marsh, you yeah. built this because you couldn't get the fish processed in the way you wanted, right? Yep, yep. I mean, uh, so we're initially. I was I was doing a lot of the fishing and organizing the fishermen, and uh, we do all this work on the boat to like 
You know, we pressure bleed, so we remove every little bit of blood. We're gutting the fish right away. We're chilling them going on shorter trips. We're doing, like, everything we can to make sure that these fish are perfect. And then giving it to a processor to process, but, you know, they might sit around for an extra couple days or their freezers might not be that great. So if you freeze fish slowly, it damages the it damages the cells and it degrades the quality. So um, the place that was processing fish for us, they uh, were going out of business. And so we had to make a big choice whether we wanted to become a, our own processor or we just wanted to buy fish from someone else. Sure. And we, you know, maybe foolishly at the time, uh, <laughs> we'll buy a fish processor and we'll do our own thing. It'll be cool. And uh, so we did that, and uh, it was <laughs> very challenging, and uh, it cost a lot of money. But, uh, you know, ultimately, we're able to to deliver deliver the quality the, the best that we can. And that, that goes from having direct connection to the fishermen, so fishermen owners, so fishermen that have bought in to own part of the company, that really are doing the best they can to deliver perfect fish to us. And because of that, to, to me, fish is very perishable. It's it's like every single step of the process matters. And without that connection to the producer, then you're going to get inconsistent product. You're not right. going to get good fish all the time. So we have that direct connection with fishermen owners that we're working with directly. And then we have our own processors. So we're able to kind of meet the right people and learn a lot about the freezing process. And, you know, for, in, in Alaska, in general, they talk about blast freezing, where they freeze freeze fish at like twenty or thirty below, and that's great. But there's not really like a a clear guideline of what a truly perfect blast freeze is. And so, the faster you freeze anything, whether it be any kind of meat or fish, especially, the less cellular damage you have. So, if you get an amazing blast freeze on fish, and we're freezing fish between like sixty and ninety minutes, so at negative 50 with maximum airflow. So when you freeze a fish that quickly, you really, the, the amount of damage you do to the fish is very minimal. So when you slack that out, you're really experiencing a fish like the best way that you can in Minneapolis because, or anywhere in the Midwest or the country, because, you know, if that fish were to ship fresh to you, it would be nine, 10, 14 days old by the time it got to your doorstep. It would have to be flown, so it would take a bunch of, of carbon to, to fly it all around. You know, there's a good chance some of that would get wasted because you wouldn't be able to eat it all in time. And it'd be degraded much more than a fish that was two days old that was handled really nicely on a boat and then blast frozen at 50 below. To me, what you just described is the exact reason why this community-supported fishery makes sense. Yeah. Because I go to the store and I look at the fresh fish and I have no idea how old it is. They're like, oh, smell it. If it doesn't taste, smell fishy. Well, that's not a necessarily a good gauge. And I don't know if it's... I mean, it is. It is. But I mean, a lot of times, uh, based on me being a fisherman and uh, running a fish plant, the, the almost every time I would do that in the Midwest, or even places like Seattle, it would fail my, my test of fishiness. So I think people are used to fish kind of being fishy also. Yeah. So, and like, what does that really mean? Like, I mean, I guess if it smells rancid or something, but you don't know. And then if you bring the fish home, like you're only, and this is kind of a different thing I see on the coast. In the Midwest, people like, we don't shop every day. Like we go like to the grocery store and we buy a lot of stuff and then we eat for the week and then we go again on the weekends. It's not like, you know, when I lived on the coast where you shopped every day, kind of your more fresh produce Mm -hmm. and your more protein. So 
you know, it is nice to have a freezer and have stuff in there that you could pull out and make for dinner when you can't really think of something. And that's how I use your product a lot is, you know, I look in my freezer. I'm like, oh, I have fish. Awesome. Great. Yeah. I can f- quickly fry that up in my frying pan with or some butter. Or... <clears throat> yes. I brought you yeah. some king today. You got, you eat that. I mean, I would, I would eat it raw. My radio partner, raw, Stephanie, <laughs> she's big into the raw fish. And I like raw oh, fish, too. 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 I'm just afraid to prepare it myself. So how would you? You don't have to prepare it. You don't have to do anything. That's the best part. Put but then. Salt on it soy sauce. Okay, just with soy sauce, you would do it just like that. Yep. Yum. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. You can't mess it up. If you, if you start with good fish, is, is the first part of it. I think another good thing to think about, like, in the fresh versus frozen, is the time frame. You talked about going out to the grocery store once a week and getting fish, and then how long would that sit in your fridge? Uh, even a perfectly handled fish kept at 32 degrees will hit its first stage of, like, degradation at five or six days. So think of a fisherman, even one of our fishermen going on a shorter two- or three-day trip, that fish gets to the plant, it gets flown to Seattle, it gets flown to Minneapolis, it gets to, you know, gets to go to a store, sits there for a few days. For one, it's not going to be kept at 32 degrees, right? so it'll be degrading even faster. And by the time you get the best case scenario, it's seven, eight, nine days where it's, it's already kind of, it's already getting fishy and not as good as it, as it could be. So I think that's like a, uh, you know, a, a, another reason why 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 you should buy frozen and then flock it out when you want to. You know, uh, I had a friend that was over today, and we, I was talking about that I was coming to do the podcast, and she was like, "Oh, like who you?" And so I told her about you, and she looked you up online, and then she was like, "Oh, it's you know," she was looking at a specific share, and I think it was ninety nine dollars a share, mm-hmm. and it was I think four to five pounds was mm-hmm. what you got for that. Mm-hmm. So she was like doing the math, and she was like, "Oh, it's like." So that's like $20 a pound. Mm -hmm. And she was like, is that a good deal? I'm like, I have no idea. So we researched it. And when we looked at the different profiles of fish that you deliver in your box, it was a great deal Mm -hmm. because there's fish that's more expensive and there's fish that's Mm -hmm. less expensive. But when you looked at it on a cost per pound basis, it was fresher. It was the same as you were paying in a grocery store or in some cases less. Yeah. Because I think when you see, like, sometimes a farm share or a box share that costs yeah. up front, yeah. you don't think about it in the same way as when you're standing in front of the grocer's freezer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and yeah, and the, the CSA shares, too, you're like, oh. we are also, we, we target or we fish 21 different species. And, you know, so there's a lot of variety. Yeah, and we looked up halibut. We looked right. up bass. Right. We looked well, up cod. doing the research. Usually people just go for the <laughs> go for the cheapest fish and say, hey, that's expensive. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. King, king salmon. Look at king salmon or black cod to buy at the grocery store. Those are all you know, $28 a pound range. How Alaskan halibut's going to be way up there. So, yeah, we try to we try to mix in some of the, like, the lower price fish that are still really good. Yeah, and it felt like it's that. more expensive doesn't mean it's better or worse. It's just the more, there's more market demand for it. So, you know, we have rockfish and Pacific cod and, you know, Kita salmon. They're all really good if they're handled right. They just need to be, uh, you know, then we mix that in with the expensive ones so you get a good deal. What are your favorite fish to have in your box like when you get them you're like yes uh i mean i eat so much fish that it's really like uh, i don't know if this is a cop-out answer but like whatever i haven't had for a while so like right now i just you know we went through a summer salmon season and i ate so much salmon that uh, i'm just not really into it other than i'll eat some raw salmon make some poke up or something yep. or see it raw but 
uh, you know, I'm much more into uh, like, you know, maybe black cod or we just, we just had our spot prawn season. So we have these beautiful deep water shrimp here that are really like firm and sweet. So you made a killer spot prawn dish the other day, Marsh. That was incredible. <clears throat> oh yeah. That turned out good. But yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm uh, whatever I haven't had for a while. So we're, uh, we're sourcing some albacore tuna, some hook and line albacore tuna off the coast of Washington. So uh, that's going out in some shares here uh here next month so i'm excited i haven't had any of that for a while so it's kind of like whatever i you know just like vegetables you guys get sick of tomatoes maybe in the summer being in alaska i never get sick of tomatoes because we never have good ones but, <laughs> we don't get sick of them either but yeah <laughs> but you know it's like whatever you haven't had for a while you're excited for you know by by march or april when having any fresh salmon i'm gonna be really excited for those first fresh king salmon too that are coming in and I, you and you look sorry and you no. look at our at our shares and and the one that you and your friend are looking at is the the taste of summer the 99 dollars one and then um the other end of that spectrum is our premium share um which is it starts at nine months a year and it goes down each month incrementally um until the end of the season um but that is our most popular share it is our most expensive share um and it's i think it rounds out to be tw- about 25 dollars a pound but you're getting like Marsh is just listed off the spa prawns, the the um, black cod, which is somewhere like thirty, thirty-two dollars a pound, maybe um, something like that. Um, you get the premium. Those are our most popular because when our members get that, they're hooked because it's it's a full experience of the best of the best. But then also you're getting some of these great things like Kita, which if you take care of, is an amazing quality fish. I, you have some in your bag, you'll be able to kind of like test taste between King and Kita. And, mm-hmm. you know, everybody has a preference, but yeah. And I, it's interesting because until you've had a farm share or you've talked with a fisherman or you've experienced that, it, there are a lot of subtleties of the taste of fish that you don't really get when you're just yeah. ordering fish out at a restaurant, right? Right. Oh yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm a big, I'm a very strong believer in like the provenance of of any food product really matters, like how it's grown, where it's grown, the, you know, what's wine, the terroir, but uh, yeah, you know, all of that, all of that, I think matters greatly in the in, in quality and like uh, we we do everything we can so that fish is the most perfect version of it that you can get. And uh, fish like must have a terroir that. too. Merwar, it's called. But definitely. So think of a, like a Alaska spot prawn that's caught at like at 400 feet deep in this cold water, and, and the, like they live in kind of rocky area. They're caught in little traps, so it's very sustainably harvested. Versus a Gulf shrimp, you know, caught in the Gulf of Mexico. Not that Gulf shrimp are bad for any reason, but you know they're in the warmer, sandy, kind of muddy environment, so that they taste dramatically different than a spot prawn. It's like hard shell, but it's more like a lobster almost. Yeah. Um, same with, I mean, you can't, to me, you can't compare a farm salmon from health and taste standpoint to a wild salmon because you're never going to match that same diet of a wild salmon swimming around in, in the Pacific Ocean. Right. Um, you know, it's not going to, it's never going to taste the same as a salmon that swam around in circles getting fed pellets. You know, it's, it's not the same. They're not nope. really equivalent. It is so not the to, same. We, we try to do that best job. And we also, I think a tricky thing for people in the Midwest is, is cooking the fish properly. If people tend to kind of go overcook if they're unsure. And, like, we can do all this work to make sure the fish is perfect. And some of that beauty is lost if you go, if you cook it too much. It's just like, it's like cooking a wild game or, like, say, you got elk, you get an elk steak. And you cook it well done, it's like it's not going to be that great. It's pretty lean, right? 
So we we do a lot of uh, we all the shares come with custom recipe cards, and we try to do a lot of uh, education on the cooking process. Really make sure that our members know how to cook the fish. And Richie does some great cooking classes. I know. Um, in the Minneapolis area as well. Yeah. If oh, I, could, I did if not I could make know a, that. Yeah, I'll make a quick plug, actually. We're rebooting a, a program that Marsh started um, a few years ago called Marsh Cooks. When he, You can probably speak to it if you want, Marsh, but I think he, he, um, he basically went around the Midwest to our members' homes and, and cooked seafood and had a meal. And so um, <clears throat> it was such an incredible um, way to to reach out to our members and thank them and then just get to know them better and have them know us better. So I'm rebooting that here in Minnesota. So any of you, any of your listeners that are members or even non-members, um, if they want, we're going to be rebooting it here um, come January. And uh, myself and then um, one of my teammates, we will we'll come to your home. Um, we'll basically um, bring the fish, give you a little stipend to buy groceries, and we'll come anywhere from 8 to 12 people. And we'll cook fish for you. We'll chat. We'll talk about our fishermen. Um, answer questions and just have a really good time. So we're going to be basically doing about two of those a month through the 2020 season. So I'm totally making you do that at my house. Absolutely. I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. I love to have dinner parties and I love to entertain. And that sounds really fun. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Marsh can speak to it. I, I, I've done lots of cooking, um, but this will be um, the reboot of this will be new here for us in Minnesota. But do, Marsh, do you guys have a favorite charity? Uh, we do, uh, I think to me, the most important things, I mean, we're, we're right now, I guess, is at some meetings, uh, from the forest service meetings about the roadless rule in Tongass. So we try to focus, I mean, we partner with a bunch of farms, um, in the Midwest because we have the same kind of values, believe in small scale agriculture and, um, sustainable farming. Um, but we put a lot of, uh, our resources over 1% to the wild back into kind of strengthening, uh, salmon habitat and kind of fighting for small scale fishermen in Alaska. That's the things that there's that speak the most strongly to me, especially with, I mean, Richie was up here a couple weeks ago and, you know, hanging out in this, in this great national forest. We have Tongass. Um, I think like if you, if you ever get to Alaska and experience places like this, you want to do everything you can to protect them. And so we, we try to focus a lot on, on habitat restoration and kind of supporting uh, the, our, our small-scale fishermen and sustainable fishing. Yeah, in Minnesota right now, we just fit, I'm, we're doing a give-back campaign um, with the Alaska Wilderness League, which is um, kind of what Marsh is referring to as the roadless rule. They're doing a lot of work in the Tongass and the roadless rule. Um, it's open for public um, right now. Uh, anyway, we just we showed a, we did a screening of our, our documentary film called Last Man Fishing, which we um, um, had our Nick, our president, executive producer, and we helped fund it along with Patagonia. And so we did this great screening last weekend, and, and we're doing a give-back campaign for them. So anybody that enrolls right now in a share um we'll get 25 dollars off and then we give 25 back to the tongas um to the alaska wilderness league that that code is alaska fish if anybody wants to use that yes my girlfriend today she was gonna buy her share and i said wait because maybe we'll have some kind of promotional yeah, code that's so a you great can one. sign up yeah absolutely <laughs> All right. All right. And I really appreciate you being with us, Marsh. Did we cover everything or is there anything in closing that you really want to connect with the listener on? I think uh, I think we covered a lot. I think you said you like dinner parties. I think, you know, I I really love love getting together over food. I think it's really important. And, uh, you know, if you want to have a great dinner party, I think the first thing is to find really good ingredients. And, 
So anybody that buys a share will know that like we're very serious about the quality of fish and that uh, it's something that you should, you'd be, you should be happy to, to serve to your friends at a, at a good dinner party, and they'll be impressed as well. Absolutely. Um, Marsh, you've got the holiday box plan coming. Mm-hmm. And I know that Richie's going to talk about specifically what's in that box. Yeah, so we're going to do um, <clears throat> starting uh, November 25th. So we'll have been in it now for a couple days. And we're doing two holiday boxes this year. So November 25th through around about December 15th. Um, it's going to be up on the website. There's two different boxes. One, just the regular holiday box um, and then the holiday feast box. And you can you can purchase them alongside whether you're a share member or not. And um, and the the details will be on the website. But it's 129 for the regular box. And it's like Lingcod and Coho um, and then a bunch of really great spice mixes. Um, so they're kind of little fun bonus trip um, pieces in there. And then the holiday feast box is incredible. It's king, halibut, spot prawns, and dungy crab along with spices too. That's $2.99. Uh, but it's a really great deal. It's a great thing for gift giving. Um, and then we'll send them out to anybody that's buying them and that uh, before Christmas time they'll get them. So. so if you're buying a box, that's a great idea for a gift. Yeah. Yeah. It's I great. I love it. Excellent. Yeah, getting together with family. You got yeah. to cook. If you've never had a share or something, you can try it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the idea of doing it together too and just kind of trying new things, right? That's what it's about. Yeah. Yes. Marsh, thank you so much for being our guest today. Richie, thank you for being our guest. Thanks for having me. Thank you for all the support. I know the weekly dish, we call them our dishers. Mm -hmm. Uh, They really have appreciated learning so much more about sustainably fishing, about line caught fishing, and just they care about the environment and they care about what they're putting into their bodies. And you guys have done a great job of educating us on what to look for when we get your boxes, what to do with the fish. So thank you a lot and you have a real asset in your friend Richie here. He's great. Oh, everyone loves Richie. He's yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. Thank you so We're much, Marsh. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Marsh. All right. Bye-bye.